Excellent news. The treaty signed and Earth's safe. It's been a long road, but I think it'll be smooth sailing from here on out. Computer freeze program. You were right, Deanna. These historical hollow programs are exactly what I needed to relax and clear my head. Think I'm finally ready to talk with Captain Picard. Computer freeze program. See, a perfect fake. If you want to win a war, you'll need some convincing propaganda. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, acting Vulcan as a mofo. <laughs> and for those who've been following along with the show week to week, I have been away in Europe, so we are going to catch up this week on Lower Decks, as well as the very short treks, the recent animated tributes to the original animated series that some of you may have caught. So, um, Tyler, why don't we start maybe with the first episode? Sorry. Tyler, why don't we catch up? Ah. Tyler, why don't we start with Damn, you the really latest have episode? Stuck in Europe for... <laughs> 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 have you adjusted to the time zone difference? Because it doesn't seem like it right now. I'm still lost. Why don't we get, check in with the latest episode of Very Short Treks, um, which the title I don't have in front of me. Uh, it's something about holograms. It's holograms too, within holograms. Too many holograms. Too many holograms. Okay, Cam. Um, I, so uh, I, I think for listeners, you know, we've been out of commission for a little bit here, but... Um, Maybe just kind of um, some perspective on these very short treks that have been quite polarizing in mm -hmm. the uh, Star Trek community uh, for the last little bit. Um, the, the writer behind these, um, he was the one behind that uh, viral sensation known as Too Many Cooks. This is from about a decade ago. And essentially, you don't need to really know much about Too Many Cooks other than you're, you're taking a premise and you are just turning the dial up to 10. And then you turn the dial all the way up to 11. You know, like, you're just, like, extending the idea of this premise more and more and more. I get that. Um, I think it's been done to good effect in some of these very short tricks. And um, it's been done to the effect of, you know, picking boogers at your nose in some of these other short tricks. So I've been a little mixed. I, I, I like the first one, uh, the one uh, involving uh, Pete Holmes, uh, 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 one of my favorite comedians, playing Captain Kirk in this situation mm -hmm. and um i did like the one where you know like um holodeck and uh, program you know that this one it, it kind of going over to the whole moriarty inspiration as well i i did like this one it, it's kind of um uh zany and this one uh in particularly worked for me whereas maybe the middle two um involving um you know spock's slideshow as well as uh beverly and will on an alien worst contact mission um did not necessarily work for me but uh cam, cam what, what, what's been your takeaway from the latest short trek as well as kind of maybe the short the very short treks overall um in some ways i found them kind of inexplicable 
in that like Star Trek was like, people, we are going to pay tribute to the anniversary of the original animated series. And then they put these out. And I was like, wow, that's uh, I, I don't know what to make of this as some sort of tribute to that show, which honestly, I know people can kind of poke fun at maybe the limited animation of the original animated series. But like, there's some really great storytelling going on on that show. DC Fontana was the showrunner. There's some solid episodes there. So like, I do think there's something to celebrate with that show. Um, it is fun seeing the animated style going on here. And I guess like, it's just about do you find kind of the same joke just kind of being beaten over and over again funny sometimes it can the first one didn't grab me as much the skin a cat one um i kind of like the holiday party one with um spock slideshow um it didn't always hit the comedic kind of note that i was hoping it would but i at least thought it was a funny concept that mostly was carried through to the end i thought the beverly and Riker one was terrible like (laughs) truly dire as something to watch. Thank God it was only like three or four minutes. This new one, which I will correct the title again, Holograms All the Way, I thought was actually a pretty fun uh, kind of concept. It was, yeah, as you said, Moriarty, kind of that ship in a bottle thing. How many holograms within holograms can we go? And just a fun excuse to bring back Trip and Neelix and all these other characters. Like, it's not a surprise to me when you look this one up on IMDb that like, Holograms all the way has like a 7.2 while the others are all circling the drain. Like clearly this one just, it was kind of like a fun concept that felt trekky and didn't kind of like bend over backwards for kind of like the bathroom humor or the, you know, snot humor or whatever. It just felt like kind of having fun with Star Trek versus kind of like wedging something in that didn't really work very well. And, and, you know, it's always making comedy funnier when you pick apart kind of the uh, the premise and the jokes so so uh, apologies in advance here um i, I just I, I do want to clarify one point that you you made earlier though and like you said mm. it's kind of like you're not so much of them just repeating the jokes repeating the jokes i don't think that's what it is it's them escalating the premise of sure. the jokes here and that, that's kind of why i bring up that that's why i think like i don't know listeners that might be a little bit uh mixed on this it, go watch that too many cooks video you know mm-hmm. like I, I it really is uh, what what did you think uh, like I, I mean i think too many cooks is genius it's one of the most genius things um that's come around the last decade or so but um it really is about escalating kind of a very basic premise to the extreme level and then even going beyond that so i, I can really see kind of that influence you know unfolding here in these very short tracks but um but i I think your mileage is really going to vary on these short tracks um compared with what you think of maybe too many cooks yeah i thought too many cooks was very very funny especially as someone who grew up watching like 80s and 90s sitcoms and to see kind of like the riffing off of that i found very funny and like casper kelly clearly has a very unique perspective on storytelling you know whether it is too many cooks or he had a writing credit on the movie mandy the Nicolas cage film which is like insane and i'm a big fan of so like i like the idea of outside the box talent being brought on to star trek and kind of playing around with what comedy could be on star trek you and i were big fans of the trouble with edward which you know i believe it was someone who worked on portlandia came and worked on that short trek and it was met with polarizing results in that case, I was on the the real like favorable side. I thought that was actually really funny and had like a sharp comedic angle on Star Trek. Whereas like with these, it's really mixed bag so far. And I, as I said, like the holograms one was my favorite of the bunch. But 
we have one more to go, and I really question when this, is, when this is all said and done, like, what is our takeaway from these very short treks, like, two years from now? Well, you did notice that they, before they premiered, like, they had, like, this advertisement for it, and the advertisement was like, and they're not even canon, and I was like, huh, that's, that's a curious thing to say, you know, and then as I started watching them, I was like, okay, well, I can understand why they're already coming out and saying that they're not canon. Um, I will say this, you know, you and I, it seemed as if we were kind of in the minority when uh, Trouble with Edward first premiered. Um, mm. If you go on, and this is not necessarily indicative of, of anything other than like what IMDB users think. Um, Trouble with Edward, it's now ranked like yeah, fairly well among the short tracks. Like people have come yeah. around on that episode in particular. I, I don't necessarily know if people are going to come around on the Booger episode of the um, yeah. very short tracks, which I... That, 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 if it, it, thank God it was only like three minutes long. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, <laughs> could you imagine if it was like a 25-minute long episode of all this? Well, I had a question for you. You attended the Lower Decks uh, film screening event, like the fan event held in theaters. Did they screen one of these? Yeah, they sh uh, they screened the first one. You know, Cam, why don't we air, uh, at the very end of this episode, um, I sent you... And a guest of the show, uh, one Scott Hardy, a uh, a video clip of me, mm -hmm. not a video clip, I should say, an audio clip through uh, WhatsApp. Uh, we have our uh, our uh, group there. And uh, I was just kind of recapping it for you two. Um, <laughs> this is like more than a month ago now. So yeah. um, why don't, like, at the end of this episode, uh, we uh, share that uh, audio clip and I can kind of recap my experience going to like a, a theater here in Vancouver and watch their screaming, screaming, screening multiple episodes of Lower Decks. We got one of these very short treks as well. It's an interesting experience because they're also giving away like merchandise. And you're, you're there with like a lot of Star Trek fans in like a, a very packed theater. And um, it's quite the experience. But at least the, the first very short trek, um, people were laughing at it. Like it wasn't like groans. It wasn't just like um, kind of those uh, awkward silences that wouldn't ensue if there's a, a joke that doesn't land that's what i was curious about whether it was like lower decks episodes being met with fanfare and riotous laughter and then this thing playing and people just being like crickets crickets i i think there's a reason they didn't kick it off with the booger episode <laughs> or show that one at all that day <laughs> um okay so like I, I i'm intrigued I, I think we've got one more episode left of these very short tracks um hopefully it's a home run and um i don't know why don't we uh jump over to the latest episode of star trek lower decks uh this was uh oh it's something about uh uh empathological fallacies here that's right and uh why don't we, we'll cover this one episode five uh, and then we'll go backwards from there and kind of you know uh, kind of do a bit of a recap of the first half of the season as well but um cam uh, were you triggered when um uh Talin was making a uh a voice memo to uh, one captain uh sukel did, did that sound a little bit too close to sukel for you <laughs> No, that did not jump out at me whatsoever. Plus, I was like too like over the moon with the fact that this was like something of a nod to the episode Fascination from DS9. How could anything please me more than a tribute to Fascination? 
Um, you know what? Uh, I, I, <laughs> well, it was also by the end, like a, a nod to one episode known as Sarek, uh, from never TNG heard of that one. Well, so, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's one where <laughs> Wesley infamously told Jordy that the only way he can get a girlfriend is through the holodeck, which, <laughs> oh, that's, that, that's one of those killer. I don't know if there's ever been such a mean spirited zinger, uh, flung from one character to another. Although, you know, Wesley was under the uh, influence of one Vulcan, uh, what was it called, like Bendai syndrome? But um, it, it's, uh, <laughs> this is a curious one here. Um, I, I, I do like that Tillin is coming around. She's like, okay, I get that maybe there's something more here than just being punished. And um, there, there's actually, I found that there to me um, much more last in this one than uh, the preceding one. Um, uh, something borrowed, something green, which uh, we, mm. we'll get into it in a little bit. I, I really wasn't not a fan of episode four, but um, I did like episode five, you know, just even like I did like little, you know, moments, you know, you've got the setup of, you know, Cations previously, you know, hunting down Betazoids and, you know, they're all over that now, but we got a little zinger like, uh, you know, don't consume our guests from Captain Freeman. Like that's the sort of stuff. That uh, made me laugh, and um, you know, it's Romulan ale o'clock somewhere. That is a hat <laughs> I need to get uh, next time we're in Vegas, Cameron. I really enjoyed the Real Housewives kind of take on the uh, Betazoid <laughs> visitors. Uh, I thought that was very funny, and when everything started going crazy, that's something they do a lot on Lower Decks. But I found like there was at least specific instances where I that found it actually funny, like as opposed to just kind of chaos rating on the show, which is kind of sometimes their lazy shorthand. Um, the Dr. Tana stuff really worked for me. I thought that was very funny. And the way they would build that joke to her, like trying to pry open doors to get to the to the Betazoids uh, and having the uh, encounter with Shax in the hallway, like moments like that. I found funny and I think what made this one work for me was the fact it was kind of built around a character story for Talyn a character who I think has actually worked really well on this season uh give her more to do because I think like the show is like consistent it's solid but having this injection of a new personality really works and it was great to see like her first like kind of real solo episode on the show well, it was interesting because, like, going into the season, uh, I think you and I were uh, speculating. It's not as if we're prescient uh, so much as I think the show is really kind of um, telegraphing where it wanted to go. But I think you and I had guessed that, you know, you know, uh, Tillin uh, would become, like, a, a bigger part of the show. Obviously, I mean, she had been uh, teased in um, the episode Three Ships or Wage Douge. And then in the season three finale, uh, you know, she kind of joined aboard the ship but the, uh, i think the more important thing is we're like are these you know crew members just going to be kind of like circling the wagons in terms of like their career moving forward mm -hmm. or will they be you know moving up and um you know we have them as like lieutenants uh junior grade at this point the thing and i know we're still talking about like um episode five but like the thing that i had kind of been hoping for for a little bit more of uh, the season so far. And we did get in episode three, though. It's like more interaction uh, among the four main, you know, cast members or, or characters with kind of the ensigns, mm. the new lower decks, you know. I, I do like the fact that, uh, you know, like uh, Boimler uh, has his own quarters. So, I mean, he's, he's rooming with, uh, with uh, oh, what's uh, Eugene Cordero's uh, character? Oh, Rutherford. Rutherford, you know, but like it, it's like we're not necessarily seeing them like uh, 
hanging out in the bunk room anymore. There, there is like progression within the series as, as opposed to like um, kind of keeping everything static. Because I think the show would get a little tedious if, you know, you've got like <laughs> it's season seven and there's still ensigns. Yeah. And I thought that this episode was actually kind of clever in that like it set up that there was this, you know, it could be like a Betazoid kind of, uh, you know, kind of infection going on the way there was in Fascination. But the way that it turned out that Talin was the one responsible for kind of the psychic disruption was the sort of thing that was like baked in. We should have like almost seen coming because of the way the character was introduced in Three Ships, where she was this Vulcan who didn't blend in well with her crew whatsoever. Like she was kind of the rebellious Vulcan. So that would be a character with conflict. So kind of like this, the solution to this episode I thought was clever because it's a sort of thing that was established early on, but didn't necessarily feel like it was at the forefront. It didn't feel super obvious. I was like, I'm not going to say I was blown away with surprise, but it didn't feel like the kind of thing I was waiting for the characters to catch up to through the course of the episode. Yeah. Um, speaking of characters catching up, uh, we do have kind of this, uh, I, I wouldn't call it a mystery box element for the season. Mm -hmm. Cause like the mystery box stuff is stuff that like annoys me. Um, but it's more, it, it's how you're supposed to do serialized storytelling. It's just like plant little seeds and it, it doesn't have to end with like a giant cliffhanger every episode, but like kind of what I guess is more of a Romulan threat now in terms of, um, I don't know, uh, <laughs> trying to instigate some sort of crossing into the neutral zone, you know, um, I guess this period of Star Trek, it, it is pre-destruction of, uh, Romulus at, at this point mm -hmm. so it is kind of yeah I, so i am here's the thing i'm curious about where this is going but it doesn't feel frustrating uh in what you are kind of teasing like destruction of you know orion interceptors uh mixed with kind of a a, a ship that doesn't look like anything i've ever seen in the records and you've got like romulans hiding behind the neutral zone waiting for somebody to you know cross over you know like to me I'm, I'm curious where this ends up we kind of saw that last season with the uh the texas class ship, yeah you know which i mean i i, I get it I, I mean for me i i kind of got bored with like just watching like ai take over again and i was just like we've kind of we've already seen that a lot with you know i guess especially most in uh discovery season two mm -hmm. with uh the whole uh control threat there um I, I, I'm curious where this goes, but I, I'm not finding it frustrating like I would with other sort of like mystery box um, Star Trek elements that we've been seeing in the last few years. What I'm hoping is that it's paid off in the way that like the Rutherford mystery was paid off where he was seeing the visions of what had happened to him. And we got that origin story episode like that was, I thought, really well done in a way that was true to Lower Decks. It was fast paced. It had comedy, but it told it's kind of, it kind of like unraveled that mythology in a satisfying way versus like the drone ships that you mentioned the texas class where it just turned into a big ship battle which isn't the most yeah. exciting thing for me on animated star trek i mean it was zippy and fast-paced enough i suppose but not the sort of thing i would like want to build to over the course of a season so i'm hoping they like fall back on something a little more character based or at least interesting situation based when it comes to resolving this because, like, the thing about Lower Decks is I can never hold it at the, kind of the standard of, like, you know, say this ship had been, like, flying around on DS9. You would have a whole episode of characters dealing with the ramifications of this ship, yada, yada, yada. 
this is lower decks. It's fast paced. It's 24 minutes. You're not going to get that. So I just hope they deal with it in a satisfying way, in a way that makes me feel involved, as opposed to just kind of like lights and zipping around. Yeah. Um. The other thing I want to highlight about this one before we kind of continue on uh, into the other episodes, um, Shaq's calling out, get ready to resist occupation. <laughs> I think that's like kind of a perfect, like kind of like clever line that uh, speaks to the character. And it's also just funny on its own. Yes, that was a good line. I also liked um, Talin saying, this crew is always weird and yelling. <laughs> that I thought was a very accurate summation of Lower Decks, the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Logic, bitch. <laughs> That's another great one there. Okay, the thing that like was, was driving me insane, though, like, have you ever, like, I'm sure you have, but maybe you're watching, like, an animated film or TV show, and there's a voice on screen, mm. and you cannot place it, and it's super familiar familiar and it's just it's just gnawing at you and uh for me it was um one of the uh beta z intelligence officers uh it was the voice of rachel dratch uh from like snl and 30 rock fame and it like i like i knew that voice i i I was so tempted to go on imdb and figure it out but then i wanted to figure it on my own i could not get to the end of the episodes uh, on my own like uh, i had to wait to see the credits to figure out who it was just it was gnawing at me so much throughout all those 25 minutes there I caught the name in the credits, but it did not jump out to me during the episode, so I didn't go through the same experience. But you raised an interesting thing that I was thinking as I was finishing episode five of Lower Decks. Are are you surprised that we are five episodes into the season and there hasn't been like a kind of notable guest star yet? It feels like Lower Decks they was they would maybe work in one or two a little earlier in the season. Um, how would you define like a notable guest star though? Like Haley Joel Osment? <laughs> no, I'm thinking more Star Trek related. So like uh, Robert Duncan oh. McNeil showing up in like episode three, I think, of season two. Well, maybe the appearance of like the USS Voyager. Maybe we can segue mm. into uh, the episode one discussion here um, titled Tuvix, spelled T-W-O. Um, maybe that could be considered like the, the big grand appearance, not necessarily like kind of a, a guest voice, but um, I, shout out among shout outs. I, like we got to spend even more time on, on Voyager than we mm-hmm. did on Deep Space Nine the previous season, you know, so um, maybe that's, you know, and maybe there's surprises to come at this point. Like I'm not I'm not going to judge the show harshly. I'm not saying you're judging it harshly, but like I I'm, I'm not going in with any expectations uh, at this point uh, halfway through with regards to okay so they did it in the past why haven't they done it yet yeah it's not a it's not a question of like quality i'm not like boy these episodes are really sagging without my special guest stars i'm more just like kind of surprised there hasn't been one so far uh i honestly thought when we got voyager they might have the emh worked in there but i'm also going to assume that they've got a really fun use for that character maybe down the road and that's when it'll you know show up uh well (laughs) i like how uh uh, Robert Picardo was all over Twitter a couple years ago saying that he had been cast in, was it season three of Star Trek Picard? I think he said season two. I think he said season two. Oh, I think the confusion was because they had filmed it back to back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's very odd how, like, you've got, like, these actors from, like, uh, very revered actors like Robert Picardo um, and uh, Tony Todd announcing they've been cast <laughs> in star trek and then they never appear and uh-huh. it's like yeah maybe keep your mouth shut and your your um 
your appearances will come to fruition or something. Like, I don't know. It's it's kind of a weird thing to do. Like you hear about Hollywood, like don't ever believe that you're actually going to make it on screen until the uh, film or the episode actually uh, is on air. Yeah, learn the lesson of Asa Butterfield, who, for those who aren't Ouch. aware, was <laughs> up for the role of Spider-Man. Uh, Marvel apparently wanted him to be their Spider-Man, and then he started blabbing that he was cast. And, uh, well, Tom Holland is our Spider-Man. Everything worked out great for, I think, all of us. We all love Tom Holland as Spider-Man, but Asa Butterfield, ouch. He could have been dating um, Zendaya right now. Could have been, could have been. <laughs> yeah. Um. I Okay, Cam, two Vicks. Um, this is how you do an ode <laughs> to Star Trek. And, mm. okay, I think we're, we're, we're done with um, saying, like, oh, can you believe that they recognize or did an homage to that episode or this episode? We're, we're done. They'll do anything. If they're doing, like, two Vix episodes, you know, in which they're clumping together um, ridiculous amounts of uh, crew members and uh, all that, um, what is an homage to Star Trek that they will never make? That's the question I have for you. I mean, this episode worked in like a nod to learning curve with all of the cheese stuff. So at this point, I think anything's on the table. If fascination is up for grabs or learning curve, I don't think there's any episode that would be off the table for them. Uh, so you think that they could do an homage at one point to Star Trek Picard season two? Okay. Uh, let's remove Picard season two. And after I said that, I was suddenly like, "No, no, no, Cam, that, that that's the entire point. It's like, what will they never? <laughs> okay, well, do an homage. To? You know, maybe maybe they would do something with Picard season two. But I did suddenly think to myself, well, maybe something like Profit and Lace. They may say like, no, let's veer away from that one in terms of like maybe yeah. dated episodes of Star Trek you don't want to deal with. Um, maybe Turnabout Intruder won't be um, brought up too much on Lower Decks, but Code of Honor. Code of Honor. There's an, although they might show like. Someone with like the kind of the Tasha Yar fighting stance or something like that. I could see them doing that, uh, maybe. But okay. outside of that, no. I don't think they're going back to that planet. Though. Yeah, I, I'm gonna like just kind of alter my answer and say I think anything's on the table, even Picard season two, uh, just so long as it's not something you really don't want to bring up anymore. Like it's just an episode that's dated very, very badly. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah. Oh, okay. So. I really, I really dug Tuvix. Um, what was your takeaway from uh, the the season four premiere camp? I thought Tuvix was a lot of fun. It was just like a potpourri of Voyager classics, from the macrocosm to clown to <laughs> Michael Sullivan and lizard babies. It was all the kind of crazy stuff about Voyager that's a lot of fun to laugh about these many years later. But it felt like just a fun story, and I liked that it. it was kind of like almost like set up as a way to grapple with the morality of the episode Tuvix, um, with having, you know, Janeway make that decision. And then ultimately this episode's like, this is just an unwinnable scenario. This is like the Kobayashi Maru. No, no matter what decision you make, it, it just is wrought with uh, problems. So I kind of liked that this uh, episode kind of set up that, this ep that the original story was just like an unwinnable scenario for Janeway. I, I do appreciate having the opportunity to be in like kind of a, a communal setting, like a, a movie theater, to see this with a crowd that was just mm. absolutely digging like what was going on here. Because it's not just like kind of the laughs. Um, it's just kind of like um, uh, honoring, you know, kind of a Voyager, which, you know, I like it's just so interesting, like how, how rough of a time that show had among a lot of the hardcore fans like back in the 90s. And now there's just so much. It seems as if like kind of the Voyager love uh, is just very very much out there among the fandom 
and um, it's just cool to see that uh, kind of realized on screen like this beyond just a uh, a Tom Paris collectible plate. Sure, yeah, like you could tell there's just real love for Voyager in an episode like this, and I like that like the comedic conceit of it felt like it was like clever and well like employed on the episode. Like a lot of the mashups were funny, you know, Tillips was like it, it genuinely got a laugh out of me um whatever the heck they named the mashup of the counselor and whoever else it was that got a big laugh out of me it was something that like sometimes lower decks can kind of repeat the same joke a little bit too much but like i found every time they had a new amalgamation of characters it made me laugh on this episode Okay, so this is a way to kick off kind of the season. Then you're also kind of hinting that maybe something else is afoot with that uh, mystery ship that uh, I think it was a Klingon. Okay, so they attacked a Klingon episode in episode one, and I think it was a, a, rot... a Klingon episode, a Klingon <laughs> ship yeah. in episode one, and then I think it was a Romulan ship in episode two. Um, that episode was, I have no bones, yet I must flee. Uh, so far, to me, this is the most forgettable episode like um uh the season so far not saying it's terrible um i just it didn't really do it for me um you know seeing like uh moopsie you know uh mm. escaping from its cage or anything like that i guess the big thing that i'm, I'm missing uh that we should have mentioned you know uh in uh, episode one though is mariner gets that promotion and she absolutely hates it this is not what she wants right now and i think i don't know I, it, it's just interesting it's an animated show we're only getting 10 episodes every single season we're only 30 episodes in at this point of the premiere mm-hmm. which amounts to um half a season of <laughs> uh of the original series and um just seeing all the character growth in terms of like minutes on screen i should say that that mariners had um since the start of the series to where she is at this point it's just, it's just very interesting like i i i'm digging remember when mariner started uh her first appearance is like she's getting drunk off of romulan ale and like burping uh, yeah. She didn't really endear me um, in episode one of uh, season one. No, it's been actually really interesting just to chart like the growth of all of the characters, really. And then you contrast that to some of the, uh, you know, the shows of the past and you go, wow, like it is kind of crazy that like the animated comedy show is more locked in on character than some of those older shows, as well as actually even something like, you know, Picard, which didn't even know what to do with its characters half the time. <laughs> So I give major points to the writers of Lower Decks. They don't always wow me with their comedy, but when I like kind of zoom out and look at the bigger picture of where they've taken the characters, it's really actually very impressive. Okay, what main character on Picard had the biggest arc? Um, Well, it's like, okay, there's characters who went in crazy directions like Gerardi. Like that is definitely a wild <laughs> swing of an arc, but who yeah. had like kind of the biggest arc? Um, do you think it's seven? Sevens is like probably the most satisfying, and I hesitate to say grounded, but the one that feels like I don't have to like do like logical backflips to try to make sense of. Like, I go, okay, there's some behavior in there where she's like a mass murderer, where I kind of like roll my eyes, but in terms of like tracking her from kind of, um, you know this uh... cam rolls his eyes at mass murder <laughs> cam sees r- mass murder he just rolls his eyes <laughs> oh mass murder you i mean the creative decision to do that <laughs> but watching her go from like fenris ranger to you know <laughs> being in kind of a captain uh... of the enterprise in two years <laughs> <laughs> 
serial oh. killing Fenris Ranger to captain of the Enterprise in two years, folks. Okay, you know. And, and yet, why does that feel like the most believable arc for a character on Picard? <laughs> I don't know, but it does. But it does. <laughs> like, maybe, uh, maybe Raffi's isn't so bad. I don't know. The thing is, okay, here's what I'll say. I, for me, Sevens felt like the most satisfying character arc where, mm. I don't know, like Rafi went from somebody with like addiction issues to somebody who was kind of hot-headed to somebody that kind of ended off a little more cool-headed because Worf um, told her about drinking chamomile tea or something like that. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I was like, eh. Yeah. Well, that, that's Picard, folks. <laughs> we still don't know what to make <laughs> of it. But uh, as for this second episode, I'm kind of with you. This episode to me felt a little bit lower decks by the numbers. And we recorded an episode of the podcast sometime back called like, you know, when Star Trek rips itself off. I think that's what we called it. I'll put a uh, link to that in the show notes. But when I was watching this episode, I was like, boy, this reminds me a lot of episode two of season two, where they had like the collection. And that was the one where Kayshawn was first introduced, where they go on, you know, down to like a whatever planet or whatever and there's like the collection of all kind of the easter eggs and they all burst loose and it's chaos and i felt like i was kind of watching the same kind of riff here with this menagerie situation the only thing that i really liked about this episode really was like i actually really dug the ransom and mariner stuff where mariner overhears him saying you know he's going to get rid of her and the way that like ransom later in the episode says like no everyone else is like giving up on you and I'm not going to let you pull your usual tricks. Like, it's someone who, you know, Ransom is a bit of a goofball character, but I like the sense that he, like, has a pretty, like, locked-in understanding of Mariner's psychology and knows how to be, like, a good leader for her. I, I really enjoyed that. I can only imagine um, how well Seven of Nine would have done under the, the mentorship of Ransom in this uh, <laughs> s- situation here. But I guess she was a Fenris Ranger uh, by this point in uh, the Star Trek timeline. That's true. That's true. Like, what have you thought of, like, the Ransom-Mariner relationship? I mean, it was kind of iffy in season one. It was a little almost borderline, like, inappropriate, but I really dug where they've gone. Yeah, and but the thing is, I, I keep thinking to myself is, like, okay, you, you can either just kind of repeat the same, like, character beats again and again, or you can, like, move beyond that. And I, I appreciate that this show is, like, self-aware enough of, like, okay, we're, we're done repeating this how do we move on from here and how do we make this evolve you know like animated shows they're kind of designed you know to to kind of be watched like any moment in time because you know the characters don't necessarily have to age you know like um i think about like homer simpson is like um my age now which is interesting to think about you know like the next time they do like a flashback episode it'd be like homer is in high school in the 1990s, like I was, you know? Yeah. So um, that's something to think about there. But with Lower Decks, uh, like, they're making the characters evolve in believable ways, and I just, I don't I don't know how many times I'd be able to watch, like, Ransom and Mariner have the same character beats. So the fact that he's just like, look, let, let, I'm, I'm going to treat, like, treat you like an adult here. Let's just, let's get on with this, you know? I, 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 I do appreciate that. Yeah, I thought that really worked in this episode. Uh, I also just enjoyed the Rutherford promotion at the end of the episode <laughs> where they're like, you can't just ask for a promotion you turn down. And then he just does. And they're like, yeah, sure. And yeah. then they say, can you do that? And Billups goes, I guess. <laughs> well, what was it? I forget what character. Was it um, Boimler or was it uh, 
Rutherford, who I think is in like season two, where like he asked for a transfer, and like everybody like look at the character and be like, oh, okay, and like it's just the most supporting like senior officers like forever, uh, yeah, th- that we've seen in Star Trek, you know, and just like go from this division, test this out, you know, it's just like okay, let's not be a toxic workplace, you know, like uh, which is kind of seems like one Reginald Barkley maybe had trouble with maybe a a, a somewhat toxic workplace uh, in his time on uh, the next generation being called broccoli <laughs> <laughs> there are worse things the uh the the, the leader of your uh, captain could uh the leader of your ship could call you that's true that's true one of the like other elements of this episode that i appreciated again like it was kind of like the major story like the a story of this one with the uh, menagerie didn't really click with me but it was kind of like no. the smaller stuff that did and i did enjoy boimler's new room and having like the nacelles bathing the entire room in red light and then also being like adjacent to the two holodecks. Like I thought that was actually a really funny idea. Yeah. Um, the nacelles reminded me of that episode of uh, Seinfeld where uh, Kramer's apartment uh, w- was being invaded by the uh, Kenny Rogers Roasters chicken um, neon sign directly across the street from him. My note just says nacelle lighting dash Seinfeld. Yes. <laughs> I had the same thought. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, jumping to episode three, the cradle of Vexelon. Um, yeah, like I said before, I mean, I, I did like the fact that we are seeing Boimler like interacting with the Ensigns. Um, I totally believe that this is uh, organic to Boimler's personality that he becomes such a micromanager that he would have to take it upon himself to move all of these what were they tubes or rods or whatever they were um that worked for me you know um a lot of this other stuff and then going on in the episode i was just like okay that's uh, that, that's fine you know captain freeman kind of screwed up like it, it was really the boimler stuff that worked for me more than anything else going on here yeah this was actually my least favorite of the, i guess the five we're going to talk about uh this week um everything to do with like the vexelon planet and the computer i just was like this is this isn't clicking like there's just something about this like there's a funny concept there because star trek obviously has a very long history dealing with like computers ruling societies usually like very bad computers you know you go back to like episodes like the apple or uh return the archons like it goes way back so the idea of like a friendly computer on the fritz there's something funny there but i don't know that they ever quite unlocked like the comedic potential as to what could be going on here versus just like freeman tapping away at keyboards and things happening yeah um we did get a move along home homage you know so uh that was there i i don't know the whole hazing storyline didn't quite work for me I, I don't know the whole like you have to look at all those isolinear chips now we've got another set of isolinear chips i was just kind of getting like a little like bored and impatient like with this storyline um e- e- despite the fact that i'm the biggest apologist for move along home and we, we got that uh recognized here yeah, I'm, I'm with you. This this episode didn't quite work for me uh, the same way that maybe the preceding two did. It had, like, moments that I thought were funny, like, just, or even, like, throwaway gags, like, um, Billups, Ferret, Lancelot running around. Like, I found that pretty funny. Um, the move-along home stuff, in some ways, it felt like it was just completely thrown in arbitrarily. Like, sure. <laughs> I don't know that this was the sort of thing that was really, like, crucial to the storytelling of the episode, but when I have Rutherford, you know, get trapped in the game and running through and conquering it, like, really easily, I actually thought that was very funny. Maybe it should have been set up in a way that, like, it felt more organic to the story they were telling, but I, I was okay with it. Like, that actually got a laugh out of me. 
All right. Uh, why don't we jump over to episode four? Uh, something borrowed, something green. Uh, this is probably my least favorite episode so far this season. I just, mm. I knew from moment one where Tendi has to go back to Orion for a wedding or whatever that it was going to end with like, and now we all learned a lesson. And I just, uh, I don't know. Here, okay, this is what irks me. We have Tendi's sister, Derica, on screen for uh, a total of two minutes, most of which was combat. And then it's resolved because, like, Tendi says, like, I always knew you'd be the best prime daughter. Oh, hmm. yeah, I I was just like, oh, my God, like, who cares? Like, this, it, 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 it doesn't feel organic. It doesn't feel earned at all. And it's just kind of resolved, like, with, like, kind of a snap of the fingers. And, and I just... I, I, Throughout this entire storyline, I did not care what was going to unfold next. The the one thing I did think was interesting with the Orions, Kim, you were in Europe, right? Yeah. So despite that, we were still, um, uh, you know, uh, putting podcast episodes out there, and we had uh, on September seventeenth, we dropped the uh, episode uh, "Sound of Her Voice," a kind of a Star Trek kind of classic episode review. There uh, mm. featured uh, the voice of Deborah Wilson. Uh, in that same week, uh, Deborah Wilson <laughs> returned to Star Trek um, <laughs> to do a voice of one of the Orions, uh, the first officer um, on the uh, Interceptor ship. Uh, she had about seven seconds worth of screen time before she was um, incinerated. So um, I just, luck of the draw, uh, the, the timing was funny uh, in, in terms of our coverage uh, of Deborah Wilson on Star Trek. You know... I did not catch that Deborah Wilson was a voice in this particular episode of Lower Decks. And so when you brought that up, I was like, oh, oh, was she Derica? Oh, no, no. Oh, was she like that uh, that older female uh, Orion? Like in the hump dungeon? That woman? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it was the one who got blown up right at the start. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. That's, that's, yeah. uh, that's I don't know how much of a paycheck that is. Um I think, like, the thing about this episode is, on one hand, I, I enjoy that they are giving us more backstory with Tendi. I like that, like, she's kind of coming to peace with her <laughs> somewhat stereotypical Orion uh, background. There was funny gags, like her being barely the fifth most famous family on the planet. Things like that I thought were clever. I wonder if this one would have worked better if we'd hung out with Derica previously. If we'd had an episode where she was introduced, we got like, you know, maybe a little bit of sibling rivalry between the two. And then we cut to this episode, maybe the next season where Derek is getting married and you have this kind of, you know, false kidnapping. You might like be able to get more from it just from the point of viewing of knowing that character at that point. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, th th this one, uh, we did get the return of uh, Samuel Clemens. Uh, uh huh. You know? Uh, I mean, I enjoyed that. Uh, that was great. You know, but, that was great. Yeah, but 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 the bigger storyline though, but like, uh, I don't know that that aggressive alien. It's just like it just needs to be exposed to bonsai tree. And I'm just like, okay, like whatever. I, I just like neither one of these storylines really hit it out of the ballpark for me. This one was kind of like middle of the road for me. Like yeah. the Orion stuff, there was like enough funny lines where I'd go, oh, "That's kind of that's kind of amusing." I like. The, um, you know, Talyn, Mariner, and Tendi kind of road trip aspect of the story. Uh, I liked seeing these three characters hang out for, I guess, the first time ever, because Talyn previously has been, you know, with other characters or more in, in pairs versus the three, you know, on this episode. It had that going for it for me. And then um, just like kind of the, um, the, the kind of the side stuff with the, 
the Mark Twain humor. Like, it was not a great episode, but I guess it had enough for me that I said, ah, you know what, this one's okay. It didn't feel like they were kind of repeating beats that I'd seen a billion times on the show the way that, say, like the um, the uh, Menagerie episode did. Okay, so Cam, we are halfway through the season at this point. Uh, where is Lower Deck Season 4 stacking up for you? It's got to be pretty close to Season 3, I think, where you had, like, a pretty strong premiere not like an all-time great episode of lower decks but like a really confident amusing introduction episode for the season and then like kind of a batch of episodes that are you know varying degrees of enjoyable like none of them have been like a dire sit even the weakest episode for me which was vexelon i was like eh that was fine um so I guess it's kind of measuring up to me season three, whereas like I found the starts of season one and two a little more frustrating, mostly because of pacing issues. Well, I would say like seasons one and two were not consistent. Like they're kind of yeah. all over the place, whereas seasons three and so far, um, maybe not some of those high highs, but also not some of those low lows. Mm. They, they just seem more consistent at this point. So, um, yeah, I'm liking it. Like Lower Decks is just kind of nice kind of comfort food i just i even like the stuff where like okay we kick off uh episode four and it's just hanging out with like kind of the lower decks orions as they're sorting through um loot and i'm just like you're just kind of learning more and exploring kind of the, this culture in a way that that we don't always see like what, what cultures have like we've really explored that much and say star trek picard or discovery you know it's just <laughs> it, it, it's more like go 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 you know. Yeah. Okay. Which species have we explored the most on, say, Star Trek Discovery? Is it um, oh, which call them the uh, uh, Kelpians? Is I that it? I think so. I think so. Just with having through Saru, like the Varahai and the Bahul stuff. You know, when they went back to his planet, I, it has to be the Kelpians because I don't think they've explored much else really. It's just so weird. Like we we've been thrust into the. 32nd century or whatever it is and i just like they really haven't tapped the star trek universe at all this could be any rando like sci-fi show you know it's like what is the burn i don't care um what is species 10c i don't care it's just like i i you just have such a an amazing universe to play with and they have not tapped into that in any way that would make you like appreciate and i don't know that they're gonna wrap up their show you know in its final season with a great exploration of i don't know where the klingons are at or anything like that um uh, i did see that like was it jonathan frakes was promoting um yeah. discovery's final season recently and didn't he say it's like indiana jones meets deadpool didn't he say that <laughs> yeah uh like but he also said something like star trek's back you know or like discovery's back which is kind of an acknowledgement that it's it sucks you know, so like, I don't know. It's also, he had another funny like, thing to say where um he, oh yeah, he, he was commenting on all like the praise that Strange New Worlds was getting where like everybody, like the fans and the critics were like, Star Trek is back again. And he's like, okay, well, I guess that's a bit of a pot shot at Picard and Discovery as well in, in that like mm. suddenly you're, you're kind of tapping in. I, I, I don't want to call it a, a formula, but you're letting Star Trek be Star Trek. It's Star Trek for the sake of Star Trek. And um, just interesting that folks behind the scenes um, are self-aware that maybe Discovery doesn't have the greatest reputation among the, the hardcore fans. 
Yeah, and like also just, you know, regardless of what you think about, you know, the last season of Picard, it didn't give us those sort of like weekly explorations into like a new concept or alien species or, you know, a philosophical idea. It it was more of a kind of plot-based adventure story to kind of wrap up that TNG crew. Yeah. <laughs> Season two of Picard, Cap. I've never... Oh, well. There, there, there's no way you'll ever make a season of Star Trek worse than that. I, I, I think it's impossible. Oh, don't Unless say they that. wanted to do a full season of the, the, the very short Trek Booger episode. You know, continue that. Starfleet Academy. <laughs> They're challenging you. <laughs> okay, okay, you know what? <laughs> uh, okay, so Cam, um, why don't we uh, uh, kind of uh, switch gears just a little bit here. Uh, we've been covering a lot of, uh, you know, sci-fi properties you know especially the uh, the star wars stuff we kicked it off with the uh the orville what was this 10 years ago almost at this point i don't know oh my uh, God. We, and we we're calling that the ortonville report and then we moved over to the um the mandalorian and we we're calling that the uh cam delorton report now we've got more star wars cameron we've got more star wars on television and, and this is ahsoka should we call this Asorta? is this what uh, we're gonna call it at this point I think that makes the most sense of anything. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm only excluding your name because you have not been watching it at this point. Otherwise, That's we'd right. call it uh, a sort cam, I guess. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I, we're stretching it. We're stretching it here at this. Um, cam, I, I, it's not a, not a, going to be like a spoiler sort of thing. You haven't seen it. I'm sure there's other folks that don't want me to spoil anything. Um, I guess I've watched all all the seven episodes that have aired um, as of this recording. Um. Kim, what if I, I I pitched you something like this? What if we get like a uh, uh, a sequel series to Deep Space Nine that that follows, you know, Garrick, you know, and it's his mission to stop Goldicott from reemerging from the fire caves, and you're like, Garrick, I know what the fire caves are. I know who mm. Goldicott is. I know all these references to Cisco. Cam, what if you've never watched a single episode of Deep Space Nine, and they are talking to you as if you know what all of this stuff means, who all these characters are? It's nonstop talking about characters off screen, but you're not seeing these characters. You don't know what the context is for all of this. And I'm just, I'm sitting there like, like Ahsoka's like, uh, I mean, it's not unwatchable. It, it's it's like there's some interesting stuff going on uh, I, I think the production design is pretty bad and like there's just like this is like a real nitpick but there's just all these empty spaces like mm. the, the star wars ships have always been cool because the, they've always felt a little kind of crammed and like lived in whereas yeah. it, the production design here it's just filled with nothing but empty spaces on these kind of sci-fi settings of, of ships and and um you know i i, I just I'm not digging it. It's not doing it for me. I think more folks are enjoying the show as it's been progressing throughout the season. I'm still just kind of shrugging my shoulders at the stuff that's been going on. I don't understand Rosario Dawson. Uh, she seemed uh, to be fun and full of life when we saw her appear on uh, Mandalorian. Uh, she yeah, is that was a great episode. Doing, I don't know, her her best impression of a ventriloquist dummy that cannot speak. There's just no charisma. No life to this performance. Uh, she's kind of coming out of her shell, maybe in this latest episode. But I, I don't know, Cam. I, 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 I'm not really. Again, it's not painful, but I, I feel no urgency to watch Ahsoka as it premieres. Uh, you know, every I think it's on Wednesdays. I don't even know what days it premieres because I, I just catch up to it like maybe uh whenever I have time later on in the week. 
So we were big fans of Andor. Uh, so I'm going to put that one aside. But like, how does this stack up against, say, like Obi-Wan or Book of Boba Fett? Well, I think it's definitely better than Book of Boba Fett, which was pretty atrocious, uh, save for when they turned, you know, maybe the last third of the uh, season into, um, you know, Mandalorian season 2.5. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it's about on par with Obi-Wan. I actually, I kind of give the nod to Obi-Wan and that oh, no. Obi-Wan wasn't, <laughs> well, no, here, here, you're forgetting, Cam. I bet if you go back and listen to our episodes... It's you and I talking about how it just feels vanilla. Yeah. It, it's not that it, it feels terrible. Uh, it's not atrocious. It just feels really uninspired. Yeah. And really vanilla. And playing it safe, almost. Um, the issue I have here is just like, I don't, I don't know who these characters are. I don't understand what the dynamics are. I, all these mentions of off-screen characters and how important they are it means nothing to me and i'm just kind of like eh. it's clearly meant for an audience that is not me and this is somebody who's seen all the star wars movies i've seen all the live action tv shows as well i think there is kind of this uh misplaced confidence that the star wars people have that the general public has watched all these animated star wars shows uh i remember when we went and saw solo in theaters and like you had Darth Maul pop up at the end with spider legs. Um, I like I knew what they were doing, but I heard a lot of confusion throughout the rest of that, you know, kind of week or two weeks after Solo came out of people being like, what the hell's going on when it's like that character, Darth Maul, became a major part of the animated show. So like I did not their know minds are like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right? Like, the thing is, in their minds, they're like, well, people know that Darth Maul is, like, a major adversary in the animated TV shows. Uh, I mean, sure, but, like, you can't assume that everyone knows that. I, I, I didn't know about Darth Maul being in the cartoon shows, but I kind of, when he made that appearance at the end of Solo, I kind of did the math in my head. It's like, oh, yeah, he got his torso cut off. Now he has spider legs. I get it. Yeah. Like, like I, I, I wasn't utterly confused the same way that people thought that, um, uh, that, uh, Ray and, um, uh, who is the main character in Rogue One, uh, that like a lot of folks watch that marketing. Is it Kesa or something? Jin or so. Jin or so. Jin or so. Uh, they, they, during the marketing, they thought that Ray and, and, and Jin <laughs> were the same person. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I, I never had that issue, but like I don't know, I I feel okay. At some points, I feel bad for marketing folks, and like I don't know what you would do with this property. And at other points, I'm like, oh, come on, you you can do better than this, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think like the best handling of animated series Star Wars stuff, like kind of bleeding into the live action, was in uh, Mandalorian season two where you had that like alien gunslinger character where yes yes a major part of the animated series from what i understand but like you didn't need to know that and just like the visual of that character almost told a story all to itself um i guess some of the stuff with uh forrest whitaker's saw guerrera in um rogue one and on um andor was fine too but like uh i do think that gunslinger character just made an impact in a way that was very effective and did not rely on you having seen his appearances previously. I might be mistakenly nitpicking you, but did you say Mandalorian season two or cause I believe he was in Boba Fett. Oh, was it Boba Fett? Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, you, you, my I, bad. I can forgive you for being mistaken because um, the last third of Boba Fett turned into Mandalorian season 2.5, essentially. <laughs> wow. You see, I don't like to assign things of quality to Book of Boba Fett, but I guess they actually did that quite well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, speaking of adaptations, this is a real rough segue here, but um, while you're gone, I was like, you know what? Time for me to catch up on other sci-fi properties. Or not catch up, but... Uh, uh, dip my toes back in. Um, for the first time in, I think it has to be more than a decade, I rewatched Firefly. Um, mm. The main reason why is because I really, I just had felt inspired to rewatch Serenity, um, the uh, film adaptation of the Fox television series um, way back in the day. Oh, with Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway, right? <laughs> yes. Well, that's the thing. I, I put in my DVD for the Matthew, Mc- <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. Uh, the, my, I, I just, the 4K came in the mail. I was like, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I cannot wait. Um, You're like, this is a thing- very confused sequel. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I kind of felt inspired one night to just like watch Serenity. But then I was like, you know what? Come on. Just just go ahead and like rewatch like um, Firefly before you pop that in. So I was like, okay. So I did that. And um. It was interesting. Okay, so two major thoughts here. One, it was kind of depressing watching Firefly because of how much you got to sit there with these characters. And it's Mm -hmm. the thing that I like most, which, like, the Firefly stuff, it wasn't plot-driven. It was character-driven. And just knowing every single episode, it's like, oh, yeah, we never really get to see these characters beyond the year 2005. You know, unless you're really into the books or the comics or whatever, it's just like, yeah, it's been almost 20 years and there's no chance of this. And so it's kind of like sad, but, it, it, you know, more bittersweet, but it was just so wonderful returning to that universe again. And I really, I, so I remember watching Serenity. I, I saw it twice uh, opening weekend because it's like two different friends wanted to see it and one could see it on one night and the other could only see it on the other day. I, I was going opening night. I was going on the Friday and the other friend couldn't go until the Sunday. So I saw it twice. And um, I was a little, like, to me, I was a little underwhelmed. It didn't quite feel like the TV show because, of course, I mean, if you want it like a two-hour sci-fi movie with a bit of a okay budget, you, you got to sign off and having more of kind of an action-driven sort of story. And so it was a little bit more mm-hmm. plot-driven. Uh, plot and I remember being a little underwhelmed at the time. I, I, I do want to give props to it. Like, I, I think for what it had to be, which is kind of like this uh, smaller sci-fi action sort of vehicle. I think it is a little underrated. I think it actually, like, um, it's it's pretty solid here. And I, I just want to give a, a lot more praise to it. Like, I've also had kind of the distance of time and just kind of, like, understand, like, uh, what kind of the, the constraints that I was facing. Um, I don't know. I, I, just, I, I had a great time being able to uh, rewatch Firefly and Serenity just uh, for the first time in qu- quite quite some time here. Yeah, Serenity is, like, kind of remarkably strong considering what they had to deal with in terms of, like, creating a film version or film, like, follow-up, I should say, to a kind of, like, failed TV show that they would show in theaters to, in theory, a general audience. It does it about as well as you probably could. Um, The only thing I remember being frustrating was just, like, there's a couple characters that really get the short shrift. Where you're like, boy, they were really dynamic on the show, and then they completely fade into the background in the movie. But you can also kind of understand why that happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, Chuatel Edgy of Four. This is, I think, what came out first, this or Inside Man, uh, this Spike Lee movie? Uh, okay, what year was Serenity? 2005. They're right around the same year, aren't they? I think maybe okay. Inside Man's like 2005, 2006. So then I, I guess I was just like, this is where like Chuatel Edgy of Four just like, 
started popping to me. And I just like, um, you know, it, it, folks probably know him best from, uh, you know, say 12 Years a Slave, you know, but um, I, I don't know. Like, like it was just, this is like, he's so good in this. Like, he mm-hmm. is just so good as kind of the uh, the main antagonist, but he's not like this mustache twirling, like he's a very bad dude. But he's not like this, like mustache twirling sort of villain. I, I, I just want to give him props for doing something that I, I just don't know how many other folks could have pulled off in such an interesting way for a character that might seem a, a little limited in terms of what they could do as a villain. Doesn't he feel like the kind of villain we should have had in a Star Trek movie by now? <sighs> what? Okay. Who could we have swapped out, like theoretically? Like, could he have worked? I can think of a few. <laughs> Cybok? You know, I can think of uh, almost every uh, Star Trek villain from a movie who's not the Borg Queen and uh, Khan. Yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, The the Norwegian Whalers? (laughs) Um, (laughs) He could have played a Norwegian Whaler in uh, in, uh, uh, the the Voyage Home. Yeah, it just feels like Star Trek always goes to these kind of like simplistic villains or kind of like riffs on Khan. Yeah. Even if it is like, you know, Cumberbatch Con, uh, <laughs> recycling that character. It just feels like Star Trek is known as kind of like the brainy, kind of cerebral sci-fi show. And when it comes to the movies, why are they not trying to, like, write a complex villain who doesn't have to be a mustache twirler, who can walk away at the end and doesn't have to, like, go down in an explosion or, you know, whatever else, or be beaten down on a garbage truck? Well, don't worry, Cam. When we get uh, the Kelvinverse follow-up movie in the year 2033, uh, I know that the villain is, is going to be far more interesting. I like the very vague news kind of bit that popped up this past week where they were like, oh, it's don't worry, it, it's in development. <laughs> but I think it was from like a director who was attached to it like um, four years ago. And she's like, I've heard things. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, that means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. It was someone who worked on like, I think the first draft. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. I'm sure it's a hot priority going on right now. Paramount is just like, <laughs> now that the uh, writer's strike has come to an end, they're like, get all those writers cranking out Star Trek 4. I suspect they're much more concerned with Transformers uh, 7 than they are with Star Trek 4. <laughs> it's a sad state. Although we did have um, one uh, Zach Quinto in Vegas talking all about how, uh, you know, it's just like people want to do it. You know, mm-hmm. but it's just very complicated. Um, I do appreciate the fact that um, for whatever reason, Robert Beltran got like the one like totally crapped on by all the fans for um, talking about Star Trek during the writers or the actors and writers strike at a convention. Whereas, Cam, would you say a good um, 40% of all the actors there were talking about Star Trek at the convention? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Zachary Quinto during his panel. And then you had the TNG reunion panel uh minus patrick stewart where they were definitely talking about star trek so uh yeah uh beltran maybe it's just because he's the a little more of the firebrand he's the one who uh is a little more of a provocative fellow <laughs> yeah yeah although good good thing we had mary chifo who was moderating that one panel and and listeners were not making this up but her questions because they couldn't talk about star trek her her question was what's your favorite color <laughs> and i was just like oh really like this is how we're this is how you're kicking off a star trek panel like good god yeah uh i mean we can definitely say in 2024 that the uh star trek las vegas panels will probably be a step above 2023 (laughs) i don't know how they could be worse well 
<laughs> let's hope. Let's hope. Okay. So I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? Well, we're going to follow up with Star Trek Lower Decks. We'll get a bit more on our uh, our same schedule again. But uh, episode six is called uh, Parth Ferengi's Heart Place. Ooh, Ferengi's. I'm looking forward to this. Well, we already saw one in the very short Trek um, in, in this most recent week, Cam. But uh, non canon. That's true. Yes, yeah. non canon. Okay, you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. B is in Vexelon on the Fritz. Smith. And you can find me at Reportin. That's R. R is in Romulan ALO clock somewhere. Uh, <laughs> e P O R T O N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. What a very curious evening, boys. So uh, I get to the movie theater like 40 minutes early, and it's lined up almost to the end of the block. And the line just continues to grow and grow and grow. And I have to wonder what the locals are thinking as they see, you know, like this giant lineup of people to get into a movie theater where the marquee above says, my big fat Greek wedding three. Um, I think they must have thought that this uh, latest entry in my big fat Greek wedding uh, series it is some sort of like a blockbuster film or something like that. So uh, that was hilarious. Um, the, they make us wait all the way until I think like 620 is when they started letting people in. Um, and then uh, they had like a special section for the animators, uh, the local animators that worked on the show. So um, they all got to like cut to the front of the line and then go up to like this top balcony area to sit and watch the movie or the presentation, whatever you wish to call it. And uh, anyways, I'm finally the hoi polloi like me, uh, finally about to get in and um, they you know, scan my QR code, give me this gift bag. And then you are able to pick up uh uh, free drink, free popcorn, and free bag of candy. So I took the peanut M&Ms, and like the man with no will that I am, I uh, scarfed down this jumbo movie theater-sized bag of M&Ms. Um, I'm not really a popcorn guy, so I didn't take the popcorn. Um, and I, like, you don't order the drink, they're just were pouring them from the fountain and then they had a lineup of drinks with little signs that said this is coke this is diet coke this is root beer this is a slushy um i took what was labeled as a diet coke but it was quite clearly uh when i took my first sip it's like oh that's a root beer so um anyway uh and, and the cups uh, the, the point that i was making is like the cups that they were in they were like these uh plastic reusable cups with like the lower decks logo on it and everything like that so i brought that home with me too and the bag the goodie bag the actual bag itself it is like kind of like a it was labeled lower decks but it's like a cheap kind of like see-through almost garbage bag sort of deal um yeah so yeah there's like stickers and a uh a luggage tag and a bracelet and some uh pennants uh as well and um uh 
I thought they were going to show us the first two episodes, but no, they did not. Uh, they showed us uh, all small parts, then Wage Douge, and then uh, Crisis Point 2. So season one, season two, season three episodes. And uh, so Cam was correct, more so than I was. Is I was predicting there, there'd just be like the first two episodes and then some other stuff to watch or whatever. Whereas Cam was saying they'd be uh, showing maybe uh, seasons earlier episodes and all that. So, um, But then the other uh, thing that they showed us was um, one of those very short treks, as they're calling them, the animated thing. Featuring now, uh, this one featured Ethan Peck's voice called, uh, and it was called uh, Skin a Cat. And um, all I will say is uh, they were marketing these things as like they're not canon, they're totally not canon. I was like, oh, come on, why not make them canon? Whatever. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything from Mr. Smith here, but I can understand <laughs> why uh, this is not canon. Uh, I found it utterly delightful. So, anyways. This thing is supposed to start at 6.30. I'm not even seated until like 6.35. And then they don't actually get the presentation going until 7 o'clock. And they had somebody at the front. And they told us to take our pennants out and start waving our hands and our pennants in the air in unison going, lower decks, lower decks. And um, that is really not my thing. So I just mouthed the words lower decks. Um... And then, uh, oh, the other thing they were doing is they kept, like, repeating the trailer for season four again and again in that, you know, 30 minutes between, you know, 6.30 and, uh, and 7. And then when the presentation gets going, again, it's uh, more like season four Lower Decks trailers. And, like, people were here. You know, like, you've already sold us on it. You've already sold us on it. Um, Oh, and so the million-dollar question that uh, Cam and I were debating in the podcast is just how populated this might be. I believe I said 60%. That was my guess. I would say that it was, um, if I had to lowball it, uh, 80%. Um, but honestly, I think it was closer to like 90% uh, filled up on the uh, bottom level. I could not see if the entire balcony area was uh, filled up. Uh, those were all the animators and um but for the first bunch of rows that i could see it was all filled up so yeah it was uh it was a pretty busy house there and um so yeah they uh showed us those things and then the all the credits roll at the end for every single episode and uh because you know instead of just like you know an episode ends and then they cut to credits and then the next episode starts, they would just, you know, episode ends, and then the next episode starts, you know. So they saved all the credits to the end, and I was like, well, I'm going to stick around and, and see if there's a big surprise at the end or something like that. Um, what I really <laughs> stuck around for was um, all the animators cheering, like, madmen um, whenever their names would come up or their friends' names would come up or whenever it said, Titmouse Animation. When that came up, and um, so that was kind of insane, and it repeated uh, four times. <laughs> and um, other than finding out um, there's some sort of Star Trek Kid Cudi collab coming up, um, I sh I should have just left. And um, yeah, 
Oh yeah, and they had the uh, state the same um, Boimler, Mariner, um, stand-up cardboard things plus that um, kind of background frame with the monitors there. But uh, Boimler was like standing more towards the entrance, and then Mariner was standing against that um, frame with the monitors. So, oh, and the other thing is they had um, all these camera people there, like uh, people taking uh, like two professionals. One dude was like constantly taking video of the audience. And then another guy was like taking pictures of the audience. And um, I, uh, I don't know what this is going to be used for. Um, uh, yeah, um, I'm sure there was like, M&M melted candy shell all over my lips. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully I'm not on any of these photos or videos. So. <laughs>